This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter on Joy 94.9, the show answering the questions you didn't even know you had. This week's guest is magician Josh Staley. I recently went to his show at the Melbourne Magic Festival and was completely blown away numerous times throughout. We all know in our heart of hearts, magic isn't real, but I must say I was a total believer. Today we chat about Josh's love of magic, why he loves creating moments of wonder, plus the wildest thing that has ever happened to Josh on stage. You can be scared when you see a horror movie or you can watch the Titanic and cry and feel sadness. You can be overwhelmed with emotions when you hear a symphony, but no other art form can give you the experience of wonder and astonishment. Before we dive any deeper into the world of magic, I had to make sure we weren't breaking any rules. Isn't there a magician's code? I think in movies and things, they kind of make it out like it's just like when you become a magician, you get sent a letter with like the rules and it's not so much that. But, you know, because the truth is like if someone finds out how the trick works and you kind of completely diminish the, the effect it has on someone. Not to say that knowing how it works ruins it in that sense, but it certainly changes the perspective because often the secret is a lot more disappointing than people imagine. So that I think finding out how it works, you're kind of like, oh, that's all. So from that perspective, we try and avoid people figuring it out just simply because of that. Like, you know, when you're like, oh, he just has a card with two fa- two sa- two sides on it or whatever. You know, it's kind of a bit disappointing because I think some people leave magic shows and have all these crazy, wonderful ideas in their mind. I remember seeing David Copperfield when he came to the Rod Laylor Arena and he did a trick where he predicted the color of someone's underwear and someone's lucky number and all this crazy stuff. And driving home, my family and me were like, oh, you know, he must have like, Beach bo- he threw beach balls out in the audience to select them at random. And we were like, oh, you know, the beach balls must have, like, magnets in them and they connect to, like, actors in the room somehow. Oh, but, you know, how could he have magnets? We must have, like, one actor per eight square feet and all these crazy <laughs> theories. And, and that was so far off from the truth. And when you find out how it's really done, you're like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. Okay, so there isn't necessarily a code, but I still don't want to ruin any tricks for you because believing in magic, in my opinion, is wonderful. Let's get to know more about Josh. For those who don't know Josh Daly, I wanted to know how he would describe his brand of magic. I think that's a pretty tough question to answer. I try to be kind of versatile and and ever-changing so that people who do come to see me multiple times always get something different, whether it's a show that's kind of a lot more funnier because we're at the Melbourne Colony Festival or a bit more artistic because we're in the Adelaide Fringe. I think sometimes my magic can be highly interactive and close, like the show you saw because we're at Magic Festival and we're really close up so I can be interactive and sometimes it's much bigger. But if I had to summarise the common themes, I want to say my magic is personal, modern, truthful and fun. I always try and get across a, a thought, a philosophy or idea when I perform. And to do that, I try and draw from stories and experiences I've had in my life and often try and have ones that the audience can relate to and that we've all kind of shared together. And I want to do it as me. I have like a massive amount of respect for people who can put on a character and come out on stage and be a totally different person. But for me, it's just not my style and it doesn't suit me. And I want to go out on stage as Josh and be honest about who I am. And to be honest about that, I think going out on stage has taught me who I am. So as the audience find out about me and I find about me, I want to try and get the audience to find out about who they are. But one thing I know for certain about myself is I'm not a serious person. So I don't want to go out on stage and spend an hour getting super deep and being really serious and deep and dark because that just isn't really me. So I still want to be able to do it in a fun and enjoyable way. I I find it interesting because 
I guess having no real magic vocab or any real anchors, I assumed when I was writing that question, I assumed that there are different types of magicians. So like sleight of hand magician and the mentalist yeah, or whatever. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And I, I mean, I guess I try, and a- I try and answer those kind of questions in a way that speaks to regular people, which seems funny to say, but you're 100% right. And most people don't consider that there are kind of like different genres of magicians. For me, the thing I like most in magic is close-up magic, generally speaking. So the the thing I spoke about before is being able to be close to people and interact with them as opposed to being on a stage a thousand kilometers away and kind of just doing big illusions but not really actually getting to interact with people. And I love watching illusions and stage magic like that, but it's just not really my style. I like being able to do sleight of hand and manipulate things and manipulate people and ideas and all that kind of stuff and actually interact with people. So for sure, close-up is is my preferred arena. Did you always want to be a magician? I think all kids at some point want to be a magician. Or maybe, you know, maybe the word magician isn't what's in their mind, but it kind of all equates to that. You know, some people want to be wizards or witches or Harry Potter style magicians. But I think all children have kind of this, this perception that they want to be able to do magic. And then beyond that, when I went to my first magic store with my brother, when I was a really little kid. So he actually used to be the magician in the family when he was uh, about 12. And I used to go when I was six to the magic shop and he would buy magic tricks. And my mom would get me like jokes, like whoopee cushions and stuff like that. Cause I was a little bit sort of too young to be into magic, magic. And I eventually got his hand-me-downs and he went on to become a triathlete. So he competed for Australia in like Ironman competitions. Um, and wow. I got all these hand-me-down packs of cards and I, I kept going on from there. So since the age of six, Josh was surrounded by magic and then very soon after started creating it himself. A hundred percent. At the absolute minimum, it's always been a passion and a hobby. Obviously, when I was in high school and I had to do VC, you know, I was thinking about what am I going to do in university and all that kind of stuff. So I guess it hasn't always necessarily been like the one job I've had, but it's always been something that I've done. I mean, I can't remember the last time that I spent more than a few days without like a deck of cards in my hand or reading a magic book. Um, And that includes when I go traveling or when I do anything like like literally anywhere I go, there's always a deck of cards in my bag or my laptop bag, um, books on my phone. So it, it's kind of been my life for longer than I can even remember back. And how long have you been performing like to people magic? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's a really tough thing to gauge because like, like I said, I, I can't remember as far back as when I started doing it. So I mean, I guess I'm 24 now. So eight, that would be 18 years that I've been at the very least showing my my family little tricks here and there. When I was a 12, I went to a thing called Gateways, which is like an extension program for gifted primary school students. So it's, it's gifted and talented educational ways, Gateways. Um, and I did a magic course. So like you could sign up for different things. And I did a magic one. And I then went on to, from that course, go to a place called the Magic Festival, which I found by complete coincidence because if I hadn't signed up for that course I never would have met the magician who invited me to come see his show later that night I went to that show and then from there joined a thing called AIM Juniors so the Australian Institute of Magic AIM ran a juniors program or they had just started running it that year so I was one of the very first people to ever be a part of it and that sort of skyrocketed me into performing uh, not seriously at that stage but more often for my family and sometimes my friends and then when I was about like 13 or 14 um, I started showing like my friends in high school magic tricks and it kind of just snowballed from there until you start doing gigs for people and then doing big shows and all that kind of stuff. So you've literally been basically studying magic since you were little. 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, study is, is a funny word because that is kind of how I think about magic. Like beyond performing for people, I have a really great passion for actually studying magic. Like I have a ginormous library of books and DVDs and all that kind of stuff. And I find great passion in just learning about the craft of magic and the art of magic. And even if I don't do 99% of the stuff I learn, it's not really a concern for me because I just have, I get enjoyment out of learning new sleight of hand and learning about new gimmicks and gaffes and all sorts of stuff. So I do kind of think about it like I'm studying it as opposed to just practicing. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that you get a kick out of learning stuff, even if it's not something you're going to practice? I think that's just how my brain's wired. Like I can't watch a movie without analyzing every little hidden element of it. And the same is true for books and any and basically anything I interact with. That's just how my brain goes that I have to delve as deep as possible into it. I have been watching Lupin on Netflix with my girlfriend. And after every episode, I be like, oh, did you notice this and this and this? And she was like, I would like, I would never ever see that in my entire life. And it kind of makes me laugh that I'm like, I just can't do something without getting super deep into it. And that's the same as magic. Like I, I just couldn't imagine only learning five tricks and performing them for the rest of my life. And there's nothing wrong with that. I know a bunch of great magicians who have made a career out of doing five tricks really, really well. But for me, it's not that it's boring. I just think there's so much stuff out there to learn that I want to try and get my hands on all of it. You said that you've seen a lot, a lot of magic. Do you still find it magic to see magic? Or are you, <laughs> because you know the, the tricks of the trade, or at least most of them, or some of them, do you then, are you just basically analyzing it the whole time? Or do you still get like mystified? I, I wish I could shut my brain off and just enjoy it. Um, but I can't. And the truth is that I, I have to analyze everything I see as a magician because it's how I work. But I get to enjoy it from so many different perspectives that a normal person wouldn't because I can look at it and go, oh, you executed that move so perfectly. Wow, I'm so impressed. Or be really impressed by their scripting or their choreography or their stage work or how they've designed a particular prop or how they've hidden an assistant in a box that no one's supposed to be able to see. So I get to enjoy it from all these new avenues that a normal person wouldn't. And then on top of that, I still enjoy it as just a magic show. And I, I think my threshold for enjoyment is a lot lower than a lot of people because I would go see basically any magic show and enjoy my time there, whether it's because I get a new idea for something or because I just am impressed by them or, or whatever it is. But I don't really have like a baseline of like, oh, they have to be this good for me to enjoy it. I could go see the worst magic show ever and still be like, yep, that was a great way to spend my night. You just love magic. I, I, I honestly do. Like I wake up thinking about it. I go to bed thinking about it. I often wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. Magic is a huge part of Josh's life. I wondered whether there's a university for magic that he could have furthered his skills. But there isn't, unfortunately. Josh did continue studying, though, and continued to study magic in other ways. I instead went to university and did a degree in advertising and media and communications, which, funnily enough, is really useful for a magician because it taught me how to advertise myself, which is super important, obviously. I can't do magic for people if there aren't people to do magic for. But then beyond that, there isn't really any like formal magic training. You kind of have to seek out whatever training you're interested in, which kind of circles back to that year before of studying it because some magicians aren't really interested in that. They get a couple books every now and then they, and they really, really study those books very closely and they've got their act for the rest of their life. Whereas I love learning everything I can. So I'm always seeking out lectures and conventions and short group masterclasses. And I've been really lucky to be able to meet some of the world's best magicians and get to do workshops with them and learn all their secrets and skills. And it's like the highlight of my year. That's amazing. Do they actually tell you their secrets? Yeah, 100%. So 
once you kind of get into the world of magicians and you know you're a certified conjurer then magicians are very often very open and very sharing because if you aren't then magic dies and we saw i say we that i was not born yet but in the 1800s the magic community saw that exact problem that people were really really protective of their secrets and there's a whole generation of the you know the most famous magicians in the world at their time who no one really knows anything about. They didn't write their methods down. They didn't tell anyone. They didn't share it with anyone. And now all we can kind of do is look back and theorize how they might have done it. And, you know, obviously their methods could potentially be outdated in the sense that they're relying on technology and apparatuses that aren't really appropriate anymore. But just from a theory point of view, it would be great to be able to see the development of magic and how techniques have evolved and all that kind of stuff. And we just can't do it, unfortunately. Whereas now magicians are super duper sharing and we we love to sit down and have a jam session and, and be like, oh, well, I do it this way and I do it this way and exchange ideas. And it's one of the great things of being in the magic community is that openness and willingness to share. The more we talk about magic, the more I think about what it is. I asked Josh whether he thinks it's an art form. Yeah, I do. Um, I, I 100% consider it an art. And I think, I think that for two reasons. First of all, magic really includes a lot of the other arts into it. So Often magic performances will have music in them, will have storytelling, will have acting, undoubtedly. It'll have some other form, art form involved within it. And then on top of that, I just think magic as its, as its own entity is artful, or at least it can be artful. Not every magician performs in an artful way, but there's no doubt in my mind that there are magic acts or magicians who lean in that direction. So I think sometimes when people think of magicians, they kind of think of, you know, the clown with the top hat and the bow tie and... They have a giant crazy look in their eye and they're doing kids tricks or kids sort of stuff for kids parties and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But there are some really fantastic performers out there who perform magic in a way that there's no argument that can be artful. It evokes emotion. They've made considerations in lighting, sound, stage direction, all those kind of things. And I think when you see an act like that, there's no way to argue that magic isn't an art form or at the very least, it can't be an art form if performed in, in a certain way. We chat more about magic as an art and as a craft. You need to study it and practice, but it also involves creativity and performance. And then Josh comes up with a fantastic metaphor. I think it's very much like cooking. You know, you can you can be at home and make like a really simple rustic meal for your family and everyone eats it and it's delicious. Or you can spend hours in the kitchen at a, a three Michelin starred French restaurant developing this beautiful work of art on a plate that tastes amazing but it also looks fantastic and at the end of the day they're both food they both are something that gets eaten but they're just so separate ideas and one requires years of training and practice and rehearsal and one is something that we just kind of do for fun and both are great they just are two different sides of a coin and i think magic is is very much the same you can do a couple friends for your your kids uh or, you know or for your friends or you can be a professional magician who develops uh, proper routines for a sage. So now we know a little bit more about magic. I asked Josh what the wildest thing that's ever happened to him on stage is. So I think I think as a magician, you have to be ready to have it all. Uh, you know, if you perform with a kid, then you're going to have to expect that eventually someone's going to wet their pants on stage, um, <laughs> which has happened to me before. If you have an animal, you have to expect the animal's going to do something weird and crazy and run off. But I think for me, the one that really sticks out is a, a couple of years ago, I was doing the Melbourne Comedy Festival, the Butterfly Club, which is such a cool, quirky venue. And I was doing a trick where the way the trick is supposed to go is you borrow a ring from someone in the audience, like a finger ring, 
and it disappears and then it reappeared in a light globe that was it was lighting the stage so you know you get on a ladder and unscrew the light globe and crack it open and there are rings inside so i said to the audience does someone have a what? ring and i got that yeah, sounds um, insane, by the way. <laughs> uh, so it's actually based on the very first trick I ever learned, um, which was a trick with a light globe. So I, I said, does anyone in the audience have a ring? And a guy put his hand up and said, I do. And he stood up and then he didn't look at me. He turned around and he, he now got down on one knee and he pulled his <gasps> ring box out of his pocket and he proposed to his girlfriend. It turns out uh, after afterwards, I spoke to them and congratulated myself. And, and the guy said to me that they actually saw me do a show um, a few years ago on their first date. So he took his girl, his girlfriend, now girlfriend, to a dinner and then saw a magic show as their sort of a weird, quirky first date, and it was my show. And he, years later, a friend came and see saw the show I was doing, and he was telling him about it, and he said, oh, there's a trick with a ring and all that kind of stuff. And this guy developed this plan that he was going to bring his, his fiancée to the show and wait until the, I asked, does anyone have a ring? And then he was going to propose and it was going to sort of bring their relationship full circle. And it was the most surreal event of my life. And it also kind of made my the rest of my show seem a lot less important. <laughs> I just got goosebumps. That's so beautiful, but also, it yeah, was. 100%. Yeah, I was not the number one person anymore. <laughs> oh, no. But it was amazing. And I felt really special and lucky to be part of that and to facilitate such a important event. And I think sometimes... You can forget magic has that effect on people and it can have a, a deeper meaning than just pick a card. Is this your card? Wow. <laughs> have you ever had a show where a trick hasn't worked? I know that yeah. a lot of magicians will be like, oh my gosh, I'm sweating. This is the wrong thing. I'm not doing the right thing. But then like that's a setup for, yeah, they've, <laughs> they've got it. But have you yeah. ever genuinely not had it? It happens more often than you think. And I think part of the skill is being able to cover for it and make people not realize something has gone wrong. Part of that comes back to the fact that I do spend my whole life reading books and studying other magicians and developing this bigger and bigger and bigger toolkit of methods and techniques so that I can steer the ship in the right way. On top of that, I am pretty good at improvisation and, you know, don't really crack under pressure. So I, I think I have a pretty good ability to think on my feet and go, okay, this is what's happened. This is what we need to do. And I can write that shit. For instance, the show you saw a little while ago, a couple of things did actually go wrong in that show. And I, I hope that you have no idea about that. No, um, I have no idea. For that exact reason that you, you just have to constantly be kind of moving things around. But the, the thing I have in my favor is that you as the audience don't know what's supposed to happen. You have no idea how the trick's supposed to end or how we're even going to get to that ending. So okay. because of that, whatever I do, as long as I do it in a confident way, you just assume that was what was supposed to happen. And the truth is it's not. And behind the scenes, I'm sweating and freaking out, but I have to keep that straight face and composure and go, okay, how do I solve this problem? And then solve it. And sometimes- On stage while you're talking. Yes, on stage while I'm talking. And and usually I have to be doing something else as well. So, you know, I'm trying to shuffle a deck of cards, but not really shuffle them. I'm having to false shuffle them, but also in my head, think about how I'm going to fix this trick that's coming up in two minutes. But sometimes you end up with an even better ending than you actually planned. And then in future shows, that's how it always goes which has happened to me before as well. So sometimes genius strikes in the worst moments. Totally. I try and design my shows and my tricks though, so that I'm not in a position where I just have to give up and go, sorry, that didn't work and move on. I try and develop routines that have a backup plan because I have seen magicians before just totally fail and go, yep, okay, that was the trick, didn't work, sorry, goodbye. And it's always really awkward and terrible. I've seen a magician end their show on that. The very last trick in their show, they just had to go, yeah, sorry, can't do that one. And just no. walk off stage. And that was the end. After after a 60-minute show, they had built up to reading someone's mind. And this person had drawn a picture and sealed it in an envelope. And they were sitting on it. And the magician was ready to duplicate that drawing. And they drew a picture of like an elephant. They're like, was this your drawing? And the person goes, no. And they go, oh, okay, well, that's the show. Thanks. Goodbye. No. And then walked off. 
And I remember me and the rest of the audience sat there for like 10 minutes going, okay, when's he going to come back out and actually reveal that he knew it? And he, he didn't. That was literally the end. The usher came in and was like, okay, guys, time to leave. I mean, I don't want that to happen to me. So I try and, and work out routines that I can always get out of things. Um, or at the very least, maybe I can't fulfill the, the, the trick I had planned, but I have a backup trick that the spectator will never know was the backup. What happens if you have a person who is actively trying to figure out a trick as you're doing it on stage? Does that ever happen? It does happen a lot. Um, like I said before, everyone is analytical in one way or another. Obviously, like you said, magic isn't real. And as such, at some level, every single person who watches me do a magic trick has to think in their mind, how do you do it? And there are people who just enjoy it and don't really care how it's done. They might think about it for a second and then just move on and be amazed like you. But there are also some people who sit there and they, they have to know how it works and they have to figure out every little minute detail. And that's totally fine. It's it's fun. It's how a lot of magicians became magicians because they were those people sitting there having to figure it out. I think for me, I don't mind having that challenge. I like giving the audience control and letting them do whatever they want because only then when this, this analytical person knows in their heart that they actually have made a decision or they really have shuffled the cards, then they can be content because if they want to shuffle the deck and you don't let them, they know how it was done because obviously the deck is fake or it's in an order or something like that. Whereas if you let them shuffle that deck of cards, they're happy and now they are ready to be blown away, just the same as the less analytical person. You know, when we say magic isn't real, it's kind of a bit of a misdemeanor because magic is real in the sense that you can make a decision that seems really fair and then this thing happens impossibly. And you know in your head that I can't control your choice. Like I can't make you say a particular card or make you pick a particular pile of cards, for instance. So when I perform, I want to instill that thought in people's minds that magic does exist and it is real and go home and, and really question the choices you made and ask yourself, like, did he somehow make me say that card? Well, no, he could not. He couldn't have made me that say card. Well, then how did he know I was going to say that card? And go through this circle of like, well, maybe it is real. And I think that's the best feeling you can give someone. And it's one that I'm obsessed with is how do you create something that's real from something that is definitely not real. It's so, so incredible. I still believe that you knew I was going to say Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> Pause. So I mentioned earlier that I saw Josh's show recently and in it, I was chosen to participate in a trick and I still believe that it was literally magic. Josh told me to think of a celebrity and I did. And I know Beyonce is famous, but I went back and forth about it and I did choose Beyonce and I said Beyonce. And moments later, a card that had been locked in a box said, Emily will say Beyonce. It was literally mind-blowing. I think I swore I was in that much shock. <laughs> like, I but literally... that's the thing, right? Like, like how could I know you were going to say Beyonce? But then how could I make you say Beyonce? It seemed like a free choice in your mind. And that's the best feeling in the world for me is you going through these options of like, well, did he, did he signal me somehow secretly or did he hypnotize me or did, like, what did he do? <laughs> And I think when you start second guessing yourself and going, well, did I really choose Beyonce freely? That's when magic exists. Magic is now real in your mind because you're asking these questions. Totally. Well, honestly, like there's, there were so many moments in your show where I was like, nah, man, magic's real. <laughs> like the end. There's, I've got no doubt. <laughs> well, you know, it's like when you go see Peter Pan at the play and he starts flying around their room. Like obviously, you know, there are strings, but when you're sitting there and you're watching it and you're engulfed in the play, Peter Pan is really flying. And it's the same thing with magic. At the end of the day, you know that I can't really predict the future. But when you're sitting there in that theater, in the dark, watching me open up an envelope and say, you thought of Beyonce, 
magic exists in that moment. And that is magic, for want of a better word. Speaking of, in the same vein, what do you think the best thing about being a magician is? So I think being able to give people that feeling of wonder, that's what divides magic from every other art form. And for me, that's the best part of being a magician is being able to give people that experience. When I perform for people, I don't really know what they've been doing before they've been coming to see me. And sometimes they've had a really terrible day or they have just been to the hospital and got bad news or, or who knows what's been going on. And to be able to change someone's opinion on the entire world in a second is the biggest gift that I can give anyone and the biggest gift that I've been ever given. And if even for some people who don't like magic and they go, oh, I hate magic shows, and then you do something for them and their worldview changes in an instant is incredible. And maybe when they leave the magic show, they go back to having a terrible day or having bad medical news or whatever it is. But for a single second, none of that stuff exists. And there is only this joyous childlike feeling of amazement. And that is undisputedly the best part of being a magician. Must be really cool to be the facilitator of that. It is. It is really cool. And, you know, there's a lot of magicians who getting the magic because maybe they're a little bit socially awkward or don't have a lot of friends or something like that. And they want to be the star of the show and, you know, look at me, look at all these powers I have. But I think magic is more fun when I'm the facilitator, like you said. I'm not the guy up there displaying these amazing powers I have. But instead, we're both on this journey together to see something amazing happen. And I think that's the, the coolest way to go about it and be a part of it is that it's happening for us both here right now. And this is a shared experience. So we know why magic is awesome and important for the audience. I mean, I know how fulfilling it is to really be fooled by it. But why is magic important to Josh, personally? It's important to me because I get to share all these moments with people, but it's also important to me because I get to enjoy it for myself. I love performing for people, but I also love sitting at my coffee table with a, a mat on the table and shuffling cards, and I can just sit there for an hour and just shuffle around the deck of cards. And it does not involve a single other person in the world, but for me, in that moment, I am enjoying it like nothing else I could enjoy. I don't get up and think like, okay, why am I going to do this today? I just get up and do it like that. That is my, like, that is my life. Like it's the same as I don't think, okay, now it's time to breathe in and out, in and out. Like I just breathe. So for me, that's what magic is. I just do it because I love it. I'm obsessed by it. And I honestly can't imagine what I would do with my free time if I wasn't doing something to do with magic. It's really interesting that magic can be a solo and a team sport. It is. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, there's some great magicians who don't perform at all. I know I have some friends who hate performing for people and they never have, but they love doing tricks for themselves in the mirror just because they like the way the cards feel in their hand and they like doing the sleight of hand and manipulating it. And they have no interest in doing magic for people because they, you know, they don't like people or they're not really into interaction, but they just love doing it for themselves. And then on the other hand, I know magicians who hate practicing and they never want to practice. They just do sort of easy self-working stuff, but they love the feeling of getting performed for people in real life. And I think you can find magicians who exist everywhere on that spectrum. What about the worst part? I can't not ask you if there's a bad part. <laughs> I think that question probably changes from person to person. I mean, like I was telling you before, the people who are a little bit socially awkward or shy or nervous in front of an audience, they would probably say that they, you know, they hate having to sort of get in the zone and get ready to perform for people. But for me, there isn't a worst part. I don't have a worst part of magic. I, I do honestly love every single part about it. And I wouldn't trade out or, pay, you know, pay someone else to do a different part of it because I, I love it all. It's clear that Josh absolutely loves magic. And just then he mentioned what other magicians would think is the worst part. Obviously, a bunch of different people do magic. I asked Josh whether he thought anyone could be a magician. I think everyone could make a good magician. And I say that because I have seen more magicians than most people will see in their entire life, and then some. And when they're off stage, 
I have met every different type of person who then goes on stage and becomes a magician. So there's introverts, there's extroverts, there's really artsy people, there's really serious people, there's lawyers, doctors, painters, art teachers, drama teachers. Every kind of person I you could think of, I have met, and they are a magician. So I don't, I don't think there's a particular type of person who can be a magician or who's suited to be a good magician. Because at the end of the day, when they're on stage, you don't see them as a lawyer or an introvert or a doctor, or you just see them as a magician and you don't really know about how they got to the point they're at. You just know they're at that point and they're amazing. you. Speaking of being amazed, has Josh ever seen a magician do something that even he doesn't understand? Uh, it's like a prediction. You get this experience when you're starting out in magic that you don't know how anything works. And then the more and more you get into it, the less and less you have that experience. So then when you do, it's like a super special occasion because you've just seen something that makes your brain melt. And I just had it the other day watching a lecture online of a friend from New York. And they did something with a deck of cards and my, I could feel my brain just turn into a pile of mush. And it was the best. And sometimes you don't want to find out how it's done because you just want to leave it leave it being special and incredible. Um, for me, that's stage illusions. So like when you see David Copperfield make a girl appear out of a, a box or something like that, I could very easily learn a lot about that and how they do it. But I choose not to because I want to leave a part of magic that I don't know how it works. Um, because I don't really have any plans on doing stage illusions and you know doing big David Copperfield-esque stuff. So why ruin it for myself when I can instead not know how it works? And then when I go to Las Vegas and see those kind of shows, I can enjoy it and I can get that rush of excitement and, and amazement that I don't really get to have very often otherwise. Don't ruin the magic for yourself. <laughs> That's exactly right. Magic is real if you let it be real, I guess, is the moral of the story. It is. Magic is real. You just have to depend on how you look at it. I know I certainly believe in magic, almost more so after this chat. I wanted to know what people's reactions are when they meet Josh and they find out that he's a magician. It's always the same three words. Do a trick. Every person who finds out I'm a magician, they're always going to want to see a magic trick. And I'm always happy to oblige because I, I love it. After that, you usually hear some of the same questions. Like, how did you get into magic? Is the magician's code real? Did you get an owl and a letter when you were 11 at your doorstep? You know, I think there's like a sort of a, a little cycle that everyone goes through. It's like, oh, I know a trick. And then they say they have a deck of cards with this seven piles of three cards. But, you know, it's, it's always fun because although I've been asked these questions a thousand times, they always think that they're the first person to come up with them and they really like hearing the answers. And, I, you know, I enjoy being able to tell people about it because it's kind of an unusual hobby. Like you don't really meet a lot of magicians, especially not at magic shows. Like that's a really rare thing to be at like uni or at Starbucks and meet a magician who's not a magician at the moment. So it's a cool interaction. You can totally just link them to this show now you don't have to yeah. answer any of those questions <laughs> i can i can print a business card with a, a link to this <laughs> with a newfound audience for how do you do that i'm pleased and i only had a couple more questions left for josh what would he tell someone who was thinking about getting into magic i think it can seem really daunting because when you see magicians they seem really good and polished and amazing and it's like oh i'm never gonna be that good i'm not funny enough or i'm not interesting enough or i'm not talented enough or whatever it is but I think the best advice I can give to someone is just do it. Like just go to the library and buy a magic book or rent a magic book or go on YouTube and look up magic tutorials because there's something in magic for everyone. It doesn't matter your gender or your race, or your sexuality or your age or your education or anything. Magic is such a diverse hobby that you can find an interest in it no matter where you look, whether you enjoy building props or you enjoy putting together dance routines or you enjoy reading or you can't read so you have to watch videos or whatever it is there's an avenue within magic that anyone can get into and once you find that avenue that you enjoy it then opens up and you start getting obsessed by all the other avenues that you never realized you had an enjoyment in. and at that point magic has hooked you and just like the prediction i said before 
you will become addicted to the same things that I am. And that's the best feeling in the world. I've really enjoyed my chat with Josh, and I hope you have too. Before I let Josh go, I had one last question. Does he think he'll be a magician forever? I hope so. I, if I could be a magician forever, then I would be. I, I know at some point my hands are going to break down and I won't be quite as nimble and I, you know, I might have to change the type of magic I do. But I think I could keep doing magic in some form until the day I die. And I hope I get the chance to because if I was lucky enough, I would be a very lucky person. I'd like to extend a huge thank you to Josh Staley for being on the show. It really was quite a magical chat. I learned a lot about the world of magic and the positive power it has on people. If you would like more info or to see more from Josh, head to joshstaley.com. That's S-T-A-L-E-Y. If you enjoy How Do You Do That? I would love for you to spread the word. Share it on your socials or tell your favorite cousin. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, shoot it a five-star review. I love creating this show and I would love more people to hear it. Thanks for listening to another episode of How Do You Do That? with Emily Tresseter. If you think you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, get in touch. Email howdoyoudothat at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.